Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Given sufficient time, you can see Heaven in a Single Wave by Emily Dickinson. And that's one of our guests' favorite quotes. So hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Profitable Photographer. My guest is one of my favorite humans ever. And I know you're going to be touched and inspired by what he has to share. Before I get started, I invite you to visit www.theprofitablephotog.com and sign up for your copy of my book, 10 Big Ideas for Marketing, High-End Photography in the Real World. Did you know that by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast, you help it grow, you help it be seen by more people, and you earn a great big hug and thank you from me. And by the way, I just discovered that this podcast has already been downloaded in 36 countries in just four months. Wow is really all I can say. And thanks for everyone who's listening close to me and on the other side of the world. So now to introduce you to my special friend. I spent a week in a class with him at West Coast School. He was the teacher, of course. And his inspiration and passion to help his students become more inspired, more creative, and more in love with life in general was life-changing. When he lectures from the stage, I don't think there's a dry eye in the house. So welcome, Arthur Rainville. Hello, Lucy. Hello. So let me share a little more about Arthur. He's a master photographer, craftsman, CPP, API. He's been creating stunning photographs wrapped in intrigue, atmosphere, and romanticism for over 40 years. He's been displayed in museums on three continents and called the Poet Laureate of Photography. He has taught portraiture professionally for 50 years, inspiring image maker artists to look inward to art and heart as they face their blank canvases. So he was the recipient of the 2019 PPA International Helen Yancey Lifetime Achievement Accolade. There are only 12 people who've received this from PPA in 150 years. So you probably understand why I'm so thrilled to have darling Arthur on my show today. (laughs) So Arthur, I would love to know a bit about your background how you got to be you as an artist, photographer, and teacher. That's a good one. So the baseline story is that I grew up in it. My father was a small-town portrait photographer, and I didn't know what else to do, so that's what I did, and I followed in his footsteps. And my mother was a school teacher, and I didn't realize at the time, but I liked teaching almost even more than making portraits. So I ended up making both those my life and uh, it's been a good life. Early on, I read a, a line that said, when you're born, a letter is placed inside you and only if you've been true to yourself are you allowed to read it before you die. So I had to figure that out. So I figured that out to be, first thing is you got to find yourself. Second thing is then you got to be yourself, stay yourself. Third one is gift a lesson or share your gift. And the fourth one is leave a legacy. And I think if you can carve that kind of a life for yourself, you're satisfied as an artist, you're satisfied as a human being. You've Basically, it's been your prime directive, your marching orders, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept plowing along and creating and thinking and meeting and growing and doing all that good jazz. That's how we got here. So you think you're going to get to open your letter or have you already? No, not going to (laughs) rush to open it. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's at the end. Okay. I kind of think it should be at the end. Yeah. Yes. 
I want you to wait to open it for a I want to be time. able to still be able to read it. So that's, yeah, the trick is finding that time. But yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll write the letter because I know, I know what should be in it for you. What does gift a lesson mean? Number three. It means that you take the gift that you have and you share that gift. And whether that means someone like you and I sharing it from a perspective of teaching or whether that means that if you are an artist and you have that innate ability to create beauty, then you need to share that beauty and not just keep it to yourself. Portrait photographers and wedding photographers and stuff share that every day with their work and stuff. So that is the essence of why they're on this planet. You know, they're portrait people, I think, are placed on this planet to leave a tender trail. And mm, leave a tender trail. That's kind of what they're supposed to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so does that go into the legacy or what is leaving a legacy? And ultimately, that means that that trail brings you at the end to the point that you you have not just had a fruitless life. You've actually created and and done something good with your life. And uh, maybe there's a legacy in that. You and I know many, many great photographer teachers over the years that we can think back to the legacy. To me, a legacy should be one thing. You know, if, if I think of the, the photographers that got me to where I was, the Jay Stocks who recently left us and things, you, you pick one thing that you got from them. What is the most important thing that affected your life and your work and then allows you to pass that on? And so what did you get from Jay Stock? Well, I unfortunately with Jay never spent enough time to to really say that there's, there's any one thing. We, and I have so many, it's an interesting stage to get to here because I, I'm looking at the long list of people that I wish I had been able to spend right. more time with, Arnold Newman and, and, and Karsh and all those people that I met and I knew and, and spent some time with, but never enough time. And uh, if there's any lesson that I've learned that I wish I had learned sooner, is seek out those that you really not only want, need to spend more time with that, that will become a part of your life. Yes. One of the reasons I love having my podcast now is that I get to have great conversations with some people like you that I've had great conversations with and others that I wish I had and then get to share it with people that may never have the opportunity to meet you or to meet some of the other people that I've had on my show that have affected my life and my creativity and my passion for photography. Yeah. It's, it's such a perfect medium to, to, uh, to yeah. spread the word. Yeah. So you have a definition. Do you want me to read it or do you know it by heart? Well, I'll gladly expound it. It, it set my stage early on. I mean, it's a definition of, of what a portrait's supposed to be. A picture is of someone, but a portrait is about someone. And it doesn't have to be everything about them, but it can't just be a map of their face. Because basically you're translating. You're, as a portraitist, you're a translator. You have to translate a bit of the person's spirit, whether that's through their expression or whatever it is. But it needs more than just a simple map of their face. It has to be about them. And uh, it's not that I've never wanted to call myself a photographer, but I've always called myself a portraitist. A photographer records, but a portraitist reveals. Mm. I love that. I'm always astounded when I see just a simple photograph of a person looking at the camera. And I feel like I can see the whole world through their eyes. And, you know, how someone does that and, you know, you do it, I do it when it's a stranger that I don't know who it was, but, but that photograph stops me in my tracks and I pause on it. You know, I always aspire to do more of that. And so that's what leads me to ask you this question because it, it's, 
All right. Let me just ask you the question. I mean, I know most people sit here and you ask the questions, but I'm turning <laughs> no, this know, one I around. You. I'm going to turn this one around now. And if I say to you, and, and the reason for this is because everybody is one, right? Everybody is a photographer now. Everybody's a photographer. No matter who you talk to, oh, yes, my uncle does that. Oh, yes, my friend. And so what in your mind, what do you see it takes? What are the essential elements of being a professional portraitist or a professional photographer? Well, that's a big question. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to turn it back. Well, I, th I think it, it's many levels, right? It, it is, and the old definition used to be that you made your full-time living at it. But I think there has to be more to it now. And I guess it boils down to you really need to know, and I thought of mentioning this to you because you were talking about how the power of even just a simple portrait. I think if we are going to be professionals, we need to not only be able to create those special images, we need to be able to explain to the viewer or to someone who might want to hire you and stuff what makes you special to be able to create that portrait. What is your elevator speech? So I think it's, it's uh, not only defining it, but then being able to expound on that. It's interesting, though. What is a professional today? Because in, when I started my father's day, you had to have a storefront location, wear a suit and tie every day, have nine to five hours, and, you know, and that's what it was. That was so anybody who wasn't doing that, what didn't matter how good your work was, you, you just had to be making a living at it. Yeah, we used to call them the weekend warriors or Uncle Bob. <laughs> and I still think that people who dress nice every day and have a beautiful environment, whether it's in their home or a storefront studio, gives a stronger impression that they're professional. Absolutely. And that's a piece of it. Yes. So I think there's I think there's self-definition. For me, I think mastering the craft, knowing an F-stop from a bus stop. <laughs> understanding what a stop of light is even, you know, learning, learning the basics of photography, mastering lighting, whether someone wants to only do outdoor photography or have a studio, someone that studies light, studies lighting and learns studio photography, even if they don't use it so that understanding the principles of short light and broad light and accent light and all of that. I took a week with Frank Crickio. I know you no doubt know him. And he is the god of studio lighting. And I think he does nine lights every time. I have never, ever done a setup that way since taking the class. But I learned to see light in entirely new ways. So Proficiency, I guess that would be the word. Confidence that when I have an assignment, I can accomplish that, that I'm not faking it and hoping for the best. I think that for me is a mark of professionalism. Yeah, I think there's technique. Obviously, you're talking about technique. And I, sadly, a lot of that's lost in this day and age of automation or I'll fix it later in Photoshop and things. So technique is part of it. Aesthetics is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of the things that an amateur or fly-by-night photographer really wouldn't take the time to learn and then apply. So yes, a degree of technical, a degree of aesthetic. And then I think there's also the element of your bedside manner, so to speak. Um, the, the professionalism of how you handle yourself as a professional and how you honor and deal with your clients to create that portrait and not just a picture. Mm -hmm. All of that together is what makes you a professional. Oh, yeah, it's nice if you can make your living at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The By the way, <laughs> FYI, it's nice to make a living or 
however much <laughs> income you want. And some people say that if you decide you're a professional, you are. I think it's self-defined. I think it's how how you feel. But you got to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk. Right, right. Whatever yours is. It doesn't mean you have to be the same as anybody else, but you have to be confident in what you have and able to make it work. Right. And in this day and age, that brings us to me always getting to the point of saying that I believe more than ever, you need a visual, marketable, artistic style that separates you from the day-to-day wannabes. Mm-hmm. And then you need to be able to be able to talk about it and show it and display it and market it and all those things. I agree. So one of my favorite, it's not a new book, but it has impacted me greatly is a book called The War of Art. Do you know that book, Arthur? Absolutely. Everybody should. Not to be confused with The Art of War, which I did buy accidentally. <laughs> so <laughs> that's Lao right, Tzu got another uh, royalty, <laughs> you that's know, a thousand-year-old. Right. That's all right, too. And in the book, Stephen Pressman talks about being a professional versus a hobbyist. And he puts it beautifully, and I wish I had you know, my underlined notes about that, but it's about showing up every day and doing the work. So I think if I could boil it down to, you know, someone that makes a commitment, like he's a writer. So there are professional writers who have not yet ever sold their work, but they show up every day and do what it takes. They handle their resistance and they write. And so before I was making a full-time living, I was a professional because I decided I am going to do this for a living. I got my business license and I began to tell the world this is what I was doing. And then every day I worked on growing. So then I became what I visualized. So I think I would boil it down to, to that. There's a commitment to doing the work. The great uh, singer Pavarotti said, people think that I'm great because of my talent. And it's not because of talent. It's because of devotion. Mm, I love it. So one of my favorite things about you, Arthur, is how you inspire creativity, how you talk about creativity. So I'd love to go into more of, of that topic with you. And you call it the making of a visual poet. I think that's what artists are, right? In in a sense, they're all poets, or should all be poets, because other than a few who make work, whether it's a photograph or a painting or whatever their art is, that's disturbing or whatever, for their reasons, they're drawn to making that kind of work. In general, most artists create beauty. Mm-hmm. In, in their eyes, in their own eyes, and that's the way it should be. But um, I think anybody who needs to create is a poet. Now, I guess you could back this up and say, well, we should talk about the word create to start with. Um, okay. I believe that every single person on the planet is creative. Now, that's the statement that has got me in more controversy than anything. I wrote that years ago in an article and people still come up and say, oh yeah, you said that, but that's full of baloney. I I know lots of people that are boring as holy hell. I think it's put in you as a human being when you're born, a lot like the letter. And some people nourish it and some people don't, but it's in there and it never truly disappears. Every person goes through creative moments in the course of their day. They just do. You've always done this one way, but all of a sudden you're forced to find another way because that way doesn't work and you find another way, whether it's cleaning the house or driving the car or whatever it is. It's not major creative paint a picture moments, but it's creative moments. It's in every human being. So we as photographic artists try to nourish and foster that. One of the ways that we've all been taught to nourish that is do exactly what's happening here today. Seek out 
new inspirations, listening to podcasts, going to museums, looking in books, living on Google, whatever it is. Um, so early on, I started doing just that. I would devote some time of every single day to growing visually, looking at books in those days and magazines or anything you could look at. Nowadays, it's just every single day, even, even though I'm kind of retired, I still do it. It's just a habit and it becomes a part of your being. What goes in is what comes back out, not necessarily every minute of every day, but it's there and you can draw on it if you ever need to. And it all becomes part of what's inside you that when it's your turn to create, something triggered something in you that makes it happen. So just because you see a photograph that somebody else did and you look at it and admire it, doesn't mean that you're going to want to go make the same kind of picture. So step one for me was always figuring out what really, and this is part of going back to what I said, find yourself and then be yourself. I figured out early on, I liked softer work. And I think it became, it came to me from, my mother had a painting, a copy of a painting of a curl hanging on the hallway wall. All those years of growing up, I would go buy it a million times a, a day and stuff. So that when I started making images, I was making Corot's without even realizing it. Soft muted color palette, uh, lots of negative space, empty space with a small subject, and all of the stuff that's a Corot. I just like that look. So it became the way that I worked. Now, it wasn't something that was fashionable at the time that I was starting out and making work, but I would do some on every single session, every single wedding, every single everything, just for me. And eventually, it leaked out, and my customers, my clients started liking it. And sooner or later, I had people coming to me just for that, which is kind of a cool way to go. It became my visual signature style. I needed to call it something. I used to call it fuzzy, grainy, weird shit to my friends, but... <laughs> Say um, that again? I, never mind. <laughs> I needed a good name for it, so I called it Manzuesco, oh. which is a loose Latin derivative for certain softness. Mm. And uh, again, now I had a marketable style. I had a marketable word and way to explain it to people and things. And I really think in this day and age, you need something like that more than ever. But what I had come up with was me. This is the way I see. This is the way I create best. This is the way I want to create best. Mm -hmm. Often when I go in a museum, we'll try to figure out which of all the art really touches me the most. And invariably, my favorite portraits are of children. And often they're just quietly sitting, holding a book, looking at the artist or you know, doing something enchanting. And before I was a photographer, I loved John Singer Sargent. And it was years later that I realized, oh, my favorite kind of lighting has the feeling of Sargent, the natural light with a, a soft shaping to it. So yes, I know what you mean. And one time I photographed a family in a home and I put the sun, they were dressed kind of formally, and I put the sun next to a window with his hand on the piano and a drape. And then I put the daughter in a Victorian chair in a certain way. And it was a year later that I realized I had unintentionally imitated two of John Singer Sargent's most iconic paintings. And, you know, it's just those things go in there. And, you know, I, I'm not someone that would directly copy a painting, although I think there's nothing wrong with it. But it was just really fun to see that while I was, you know, working my heart out, wrangling these kids, trying to get them to stand here, and <laughs> that I was 
what felt just right in terms of posing and the whole setup I'd actually seen before many, many times. So, yeah. Do you know the, uh, there's an old photograph that was a poster of a, a guy with a trench coat open? Yes. And, and, and it says exposure backwards, so you can't see the front. It says expose yourself to art. <laughs> So that's what I think of. It's true. The more that it goes in, the more you have to draw on when it's time. Right. But it's interesting. It's one of the things that we do in, in our classes that um, I always have folks in class bring a bunch of tear sheets. Tear, in other words, grab a, a Vogue magazine or something, a fashion magazine, and just quickly thumb through it. And just any picture that hits you, just rip the page out. Don't stop and think about it. Just whatever hits you, pull out the page. And then we throw them down on the floor, one person at a time, just throw them down, don't organize them or anything. And then we all step back and look at it. And what you want to look for is similarities. And it's always fascinating because you take out the extremes, but all of a sudden, one person will have maybe a dozen pictures that are all black and white. And I'll say, well, do you do a lot of black and white? And he'll say, well, no, I don't do black and white at all because my customers don't want black and white. And I'll say, but you want black and white. Your, your soul speaks to you and says, black and white. So maybe you need to find a way to make black and white one of your offerings. And then maybe... Uh, some people will put down all kinds of tight crops or all kinds of negative space pictures or all kinds of bold colors or subtle colors and things. And I'll say, do you do work like that? And I'll say, no. I said, well, it's inside you. You're drawn to it. So maybe that's your starting point. Mm -hmm. All right. You just have to look at work. I love that tip, enlightenment. So basically what you're doing, looking at, art, looking at other people's work, even sitting down and spending some time with your own work, looking, you're chasing your own enlightenment. Um, don't rent too big a storage unit. You don't want to get stuck in there. But, well, we tend to stay with what works for us, right? The first thing that works for you, you tend to stay there. And then that's a whole new world to have to fight through because is it your style that you're staying with or is it your, your comfort zone that you're staying with? Mm. Right. And that's a new, I mean, we could talk about any one of these things, Lucy, for days on end. I know. I, I've noticed a lot in some of the Facebook groups I'm in um, people saying, I'm trying to figure out my style, my style, my style. And then what I see is that they're actually relying on editing and using other people's actions and and actually a lot of them are very imitative right now dark and moody is in fashion uh -huh. um, five years ago it was lens flare uh <laughs> back in my wedding days it was double exposures with writing oh room now looking. you're now you're dating yourself <laughs> and me too yes and and arthur there was a day when i said i hate taking photographs with the bride and groom looking over the ceremony. I thought I had to do that to be a professional photographer, but I refuse. I'm not doing it. I'm not showing it. I love outdoor photography and that's what I'm going to spend more time doing is, is getting brides and grooms in beautiful locations and creating things that, that have art and design and satisfy me. And that's when my business grew because I developed that style. And I think it comes over time. I think we can't just wake up one day. We can pick a trend, but you and I have seen trends come and go and date what, uh, like, I think dark and moody 10 years from now will be saying, oh, that's so 2019. And it's lovely. So you're talking about drawing a line in the sand, your personal line in the sand. And the minute you do that now, you're setting up this conflict. So some mm. of us are good with conflict and some of us are not good at managing conflict, right? When it comes to our work and our business too, for that matter. 
And while I believe that a visual marketable style is really going to help you a lot and, you know, you're defining yourself and then you can ultimately define it for your clients, not everybody needs to do that. But if you want to do that and you don't want to burn yourself along the way and all of a sudden start starving because you're creating something that nobody thinks they want anymore, early on, I found that the best thing you can do is still do what is popular and what you need to do to put food on the table. But your new offering can be just that, a new offering. It can be your specialty. And everything about it has to be different. The way it looks it's itself, the way you present it, the way you market it, price it, everything about it has to be completely different. It can't compete with your day-to-day then you're not going to burn your business, but you have somewhere new to grow. And it will appeal to some people, and eventually you'll find more people. Where do you find those people? Well, that's a whole other story in itself. But they're out there, someone else who will share your vision and be glad to pay you for it. Right. Often when I'm working with someone that photographs children or newborns, and they're doing what I call lovingly, respectfully, baby burritos and monkey faces, meaning, you know, they're, uh, they're doing the wrapping babies or having them, the babies with their chin, you know, their face and their chin, you know what I'm talking about? In a nest, in a pot, in a, yeah. So it's a style that was actually started and Geddes's originality and has become an entire uh, style. It's a whole it, genre of. Yeah. Yes. And they're beautiful and marketable. And at the same time, I encourage my newborn photographers to dig deep into themselves as well, exactly what you're talking about, and do some things that they haven't seen before that no one else has done. Go outside the box. A lot of times that can start, you know, with a newborn, that can start with including the parents and, you know, rather than close-ups, having some environment, using window light, stretching a little bit, and it, it kind of telling more story. And then what I see happening is then some of those photographers, that style is a standout. And then when people hire them, they're hiring them not because they like them and they're competent at doing the beautiful you know, this beautiful newborn genre that can look like other people's work. And I say that with, you know, with respect, but that is only them. And then, you know, if we think about any photographer that we know that has been imitated a lot, they originated. Now, they might have found it from someone else. I don't know where they got it. But like Sue Bryce, for example, um, when she came on the scene, her style was unimitated. I'd never seen it before. She did it so beautifully. And now there are a lot of people who are are photographing her way, using her tools, making a lot of people happy. But I always think of Sue Bryce when I see, you know, many photographers' work of contemporary glamour. Right. You know, are you picking up what I'm putting down, Arthur? Do you get yeah. one with that? Yeah, yeah. It's not making anyone wrong for developing a, Absolutely, someone no. else's style and crafting it gorgeously. And I think what you were saying is, and then also look deeper into yourself to find something that maybe has never even been done before by anyone on the planet. And, and there certainly is always going to be something that's possibly never been done before. But that puts a lot of pressure on you. Uh, you're right. <laughs> so, you know, um, I used to always say, the, the late astronomer Carl Sagan used to say, okay, so you want to make an apple pie from scratch. That's great. What's the first thing you need to do? Invent a universe. I mean, how far back do you have to go to yeah. from scratch, you know? That's a lot of pressure. Like so yeah, maybe you don't have to be the most creative person, invent something new and stuff. You just need to invent what's right for you to offer. And it is pure to your spirit and heart. And then you need to be able to talk the talk. This is more important, I think, today than ever. 
you know, with cell phones getting better with portrait modes and the lighting automatically gets fixed afterwards and the depth of field, I mean, it's getting scary where equipment is going now. And the average person in the street can come up with a pretty good picture. How do you make it a portrait and tell somebody why they should give you money for it? What is the difference? Now you've really got to step it up. It's not just technical anymore. We used to, in the old days, technically we could make a better picture and people could see that it was better than what they could do with their crummy snapshot cameras. But it's getting hard now. So we need to find a whole new level of talking about our professionalism. You know, for instance, when you make a photograph where you do not have eye contact and the subject in the picture is looking down or away or has closed eyes or anything else, when the viewer looks at that picture, the viewer now has to bring her or himself, something of themselves to what they're looking at. They have no choice. There's no connection. So they have to say, well, I wonder what it is that person was thinking about. Why is that person looking away? Why are they close? Have I ever felt some similar connection or experience? But now all of a sudden, it's a deeper picture than just looking into the camera all the time. And nothing wrong with that. That's what we do. But So you've got to find some new way to separate your work and then you have to be able to explain why you did it that way there's some magical thing inside you as i photograph you that way that i'm never going to know but i don't know so it's a whole new world that we have to look at being creative about and it's only going to happen when you give yourself time to think about it and, and i think that's the most common thing that i run into with with all artists besides photographers painters everybody that i i encounter is they don't take enough time to figure all this stuff out they just plow through and learn the technique they have to and just make the money they have to and and i get it i lived all my life having to produce and make money and stuff from what i was doing i understand but only taking time. Time is the best creative tool you will ever have. Mm. So can you talk about how to be creative, what to do with that time, how to get ourselves unstuck or inspired? I know you've talked about exposing ourselves to art, but I know you have lots of tips and tricks and things that we did in that week-long class. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about all of that goodness. Well, okay. So set the stage. The first thing you got to do is it's kind of the, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy concept, right? You need to be happy. <laughs> it's very difficult to create from a position of stress. Uh, you will never do your best work that way. You will do work. That's part of being professional. You get up in the morning and do what you have to do. But that's not where you're going to create your best work. You're going to make your best work when you're happy. So step one is give yourself some damn time to be happy. We all learned early on from that artistic, from, from Julia Cameron's book. The yeah, Artist's Way. Okay, give yourself time. Take your scheduling, however you do it, on your phone, your whatever, and give yourself an appointment with yourself, an artistic date with yourself whether it's 15 minutes a day or a week or start somewhere, you're going to find the more you do it, the more you're going to want to do more of it. And in there, just play. You cannot make yourself be creative. You can only let yourself be creative. It's not because you have to, it's because you want to. Step two, then, everything is interesting. Everything is worthy. There are no stupid ideas. There's no whatever strikes your fancy in that moment. Give everything a chance. Think of a daylily. A daylily comes out, and if it's pouring buckets or whatever it is that day, that's the one day that that daylily's got. That daylily's going to live that day to the fullest. So everything is worthy. Everything is interesting. Give every idea you have a chance. Now, it may not pan out, but that's okay. And then just play. If you do what you love, as they say, the money will follow. But first, you've got to love what you're doing. And that means honoring that 
first instinct. Your instinct is what's driving you to create the way you do. You got to take a chance and listen to it. That's all. I think that's the hardest thing to come up with is figuring our own, our own true nature. Like, I love that story of the two monks. They're sitting by the stream, right, fishing. And all of a sudden, there's a scorpion that's floating downstream. And so one of the monks reaches in and grabs the scorpion because he was about to drown and takes him out. And while he's taking him out of the, the water, of course, the scorpion stings him and he puts him down on the, the shore and they go back to fishing. And a few minutes later, there's the dang scorpion back in the water drowning again. And sure enough, he reaches in and saves the scorpion again. And so the other monk looks at him and says, what are you doing? Why are you saving that scorpion when you know he's always going to sting you? And he says, stinging is the scorpion's nature, but saving him is mine. So I think you've got to figure out what is your nature. And we learned early on, a lot of us, when we took classes and all of that, how to not just light, but how to handle uh, subjects and get expressions from kids and all of that stuff. And some of it just went against our nature. I mean, think of the things that you've learned that just didn't seem like you wanted to do it that way, but that's the way you're supposed to do it, I guess. So you just do it. Yeah. For me, Arthur, when I started doing uh, children's photography after being in weddings for 12 years, it was high key. I thought that's what I had to do. And I never liked it because it was very hard to get shape in faces when you've got to have so much light blasting to keep a background white. Because in that day and age, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, <laughs> you, could, you couldn't whiten the background afterwards. So you had to have this formula for making backgrounds perfectly white. And so... I began to develop the understanding that I liked shape in my lighting. I liked, you know, shadows and highlights. And, and one day I gave myself permission not to show clients any high key, not to have the studio set up on automatic with high key. Yes, if someone requested it, I could make it happen. But that's when my real style in the studio developed because I began also to realize I didn't like a lot of props that I think humans are so incredibly fascinating and beautiful all on their own, especially little humans that my work got simpler and simpler and stronger and stronger. My sales went up because I was more inspired by just a child and a chair and nice lighting or a baby in daddy's arms in black and white with, you know, some nice contrasty lighting and began to sell more wall portraits and began to get a better reputation. So yes, high key. But, but you used courage to walk away from what everybody said you had to do as a creative tool. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most uncreative tools that we have is fear. Fear mm. is the worst fear that the picture that we create isn't going to sell, fear that our peers aren't going to like it, fear that we're not going to like it. Fear just freezes you and keeps you from being creative and from growing your business and growing yourself. It just fear is the worst part of it. It's a human characteristic and getting past it is you have to find your own way to do it. But as an artist, fighting through fear is... If you read the history, I've, I've gotten to spend a lot of reading history of famous artists and how they got famous, and, and fear was the thing that they had to fight past most of the time. So how do you fight past fear? I think there's probably been multiple ways. Um, sometimes you just have to do it because you have to do what you have to do to make your living and just get past it. Sometimes it's making it and putting it out there and saying, well, okay, no, nobody's going to like it, but I like it. 
I always remember the first year after I got my master's and for those people that aren't into that world, but basically you have to submit so many photographs to the competition and they have to be accepted and things. And when finally, when you have enough of them, then you get your master's. Well, the year after I had gotten enough and I got my master's, I had stopped entering and someone said, well, you shouldn't just stop, you know, because that shouldn't have been the only reason you were doing it. And I said, well, okay, but now I'm going to enter images just the way I like it. I'm not making them for a client. I'm not making them for the judges who in that case were my client. I'm just going to make them for me the way I like to. And so I made a whole case full of prints and sent them all in. And, and a few weeks later, they come back and I open a case up and nothing, not one of them hung. Mm. Nothing. And at first I couldn't believe it. I said, well, maybe they never even looked at them. And then I realized they did. And then I got mad and then said, well, how dumb are they not to appreciate these? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, it's okay. As, as long as I made them and I was happy with them. So I had to fight through that a lot of times. I think artists always fight through by self-acceptance sometimes, you know, say that's just what it is. And you can read about that all the time. There's, Everybody from Van Gogh and stuff, call him and don't cut off your ear, but <laughs> it's okay. We all deal with it our own way, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, being an artist is not the simple path. It's not the easy path. Unless like me and maybe like you working for someone else and having them tell you what to do and doing something we don't love. That's the hard path for me. So, you know, the privilege of getting to do our art and create that legacy where people have them as lifetime treasures, you know, that it just, nothing's better in my opinion. And nothing's better than also helping and supporting others with that same passion. I know you're, you're passionate about teaching and supporting other people that that is really core to who you are, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to answer that. <laughs> I know. There was no question in that. That was it a certainly statement. is, yeah. You know, yeah. It is. It, yeah. Um that's part of figuring yourself out because it's figuring out what brings you joy. And whatever brings you joy is what then ultimately you're gonna do the best with. Right. And and sharing and all of that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. Okay. We pretty well covered all of those thoughts. Yeah. I could talk to you for hours, of course. I and I have. If people want to talk to you or email you, how would they get in touch? I guess the best way is to e-me at rainphoto, R-A-I-N-F-O-T-O, photo, rainphoto, one word, at AOL.com. And I'll uh, get back to you. We'll chit-chat. I do quite a bit of, of private consulting and stuff. I don't consult. Like consulting, it's not a business side. It's mentoring. It's private mm -hmm. mentoring. Uh, and pretty much we work on, well, we we'll do things like work on your style and things like that. Mm. And, okay. And all of that. And the business side gets in there, too. But that's all of part of it. So... If you take the time to connect with Arthur one-on-one, -on -one, you'll never be the same. I have to say that. <laughs> and if you're ever near him, you've got the best hug in the history of hugs waiting for you. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm saving them. I've got them for you. Okay. So before I close this episode and thank our guest, I'd like you to remember to stay tuned for my quick wrap-up and to connect with me one-on-one -on -one if you would like one of the five spaces I've opened up this month for a free strategy session, just email me at lucy, L-U-C-I, at lucydumas.com to learn more and get on my schedule. And Arthur, it has been a delight and an honor, and I know you now have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more big fans. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
Oh, I want to thank you too, Lucy. You need to come visit me too. I know we're on opposite oceans, but yes, well, you we can do it. I do, come visit me. I do love to speak, so perhaps I will get a gig on the East Coast and then plan to spend some time with you. I would love that. Well, maybe we'll do one together, Lucy, somewhere. That would be really nice, <gasps> wouldn't it? Hey, I know you have done some really nice programs where you brought in maybe we some can youngins do that. Yeah. to share okay. their creativity. You could be my new youngin. Yeah. Ooh, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. 37 years. Okay, Medea. Thank you so much. All right, my darling. Love you. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. All right. So here is the wrap up and some of the things I came away with from this conversation with someone I'm sure you can tell is very dear to my heart. So he talked about four things in our life that contribute to living a purposeful, joyful life. Number one, find yourself. Number two, be yourself. Number three, gift a lesson. And number four, leave a legacy. Especially liked the gift a lesson, which I took from what he said to mean we're all given gifts. And so it is our job to use those gifts while we're here in the best way we can. He also mentioned the idea that there's an envelope inside of us with a letter. And if we live the life we were born to live, then at the end, we get to open that letter and discover something. I'd like to know more about what he thinks might be on that. He talked about being a visual poet and that all artists and creative people are poets and that everyone's creative. Talked about developing your style, and that is such a good topic to think about. And it comes, according to Arthur Rainville, it comes from doing some things, not just that will please the clients, but things that please ourselves. He gave us some ideas of how to explore our style. He talked about chasing enlightenment, exposing ourselves to art and letting ourselves kind of, it's like a, it's like a bank that we put inside. We put things on deposit and then, you know, abundance will come out. And we also talked about what constitutes professionalism and I don't think we came up with a definitive answer to that because I think it's personal for everybody, but I loved the conversation with Arthur and I have a feeling you did too. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, I love to teach also. So if you know somebody that's looking for a speaker, please pass my name along and have a really prosperous, profitable week. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.